Welcome to StoryWise, the podcast designed to give you the in-depth story behind some of our top storytellers as a way to inform, motivate, and inspire you to believe that you too can make your dreams a reality. My name is Jen Grisanti. I am the story career consultant at Jen Grisanti Consultancy, Inc., a writer's consultancy designed to help you accomplish your writing goals and reach your career destination through one-on-one consults, seminars, and teleseminars. And I am absolutely thrilled to have as my guest today, Paul Rule. Welcome, Paul. Thank you, Jen. Thank you for having me. I am so happy to have you. And I, I have to say, you know, it was amazing Looking at your background, which we're going to go through in just a moment, as far as you are such a well-rounded working writer. I mean, it's like you have worked in so many different arenas, which I think it's going to be really amazing yeah, for people helps, to learn yeah, it's about. Helpful to stay employed. You have yes, to uh, diversify. Yes, yeah. and we want to go into advice on that. All right, so starting from, we're going to start from present day and work our way back. So currently... You are staffed on the MTV show, The Hard Times of R.J. Berger, and you are also staffed on Jonas. Uh, we'll go into a little bit on each of those. I'm very curious to hear your take. I love The Hard Times of R.J. Berger, and I want to hear a little bit more about Jonas. And you recently sold a pilot, 22, to Comedy Central. I actually shot that <coughs> recently. Oh, shot recently it? sold Great. a pilot to MTV, um, which maybe is not on the list there. Really? Yeah. What's the name of the pilot you sold to MTV? It's it's called Fido. It's uh it's a project with Lionsgate. Great. Um that I'm doing with uh, Walt Becker, his director who also has a show coming on uh, in a few months on TBS. Great. Yeah. So Great. And it's 22 still We have to close the deal so if MTV Business Affairs is listening. Um, <laughs> Uh, that would be MTV great. MTV Business Affairs. And maybe Lionsgate as well. Uh, but, uh, I'm sorry, what was your question? Um, and 22 is still... 22 gone. was... No, 22 uh, I got shot last year for Comedy Central. Okay. And it is, uh, it is, it is not, not going forward. So, okay. Yeah, All right. As but these it, things hey, sometimes happen. You added it to your long list of pilots. Yes. You have sold pilots half hour and hour to CBS, NBC, CW, and MTV we know about and Comedy Central. That is fantastic. Uh, and I definitely want to go into you, like clearly writing pilots is something you do well, which means pitching is something you do well. So we'll go into that. Um, now, staff jobs, you staffed on Oh, Grow Up, ABC comedy created by Alan Ball, which I didn't even know that. Yeah. I yeah, was, he was shocked. I was like, wow. Same year American Beauty came out. Wow. Yeah, we were... Uh, we were, we were the one that didn't quite make it, but it was a good experience at my first gig. Oh, that so. must have been an amazing yeah, experience. It was. That's great. And then you were on the O'Keefe's, created, created by Bruce Almighty and click scribe Mark O'Keefe. Then you were on Madigan Men, uh, executive producer Cindy Chopak. Chupac, Chupac yeah. of course, from Sex in the City. Exactly. Uh, and then prior to that, you had an M. M.O.W. on the Hallmark Channel called For the Love of Grace. Not my title, by the way. But, oh. uh, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. 
That's amazing. So that was at the beginning, the MOW. No, no, the MOW was not at the beginning. It was actually that that aired two years ago. Really? It was a it was a feature that I wrote that somehow somebody producer a producer got their hands on and and uh, and turned into a TV movie. Oh, so. that's fantastic. Yeah, that, oh, that's fantastic. I, li- I like the residuals. That's I bet you about. do. Yeah. No, that's fantastic. Um, and Hallmark is such a. <laughs> Wonderful name to be associated. Yeah, with. Yeah, no, it, it was great. It was sort of the last place I ever thought I, you know, would sell a project. But you know, there's a the, the brave new world of, of cable and everything right. else. You know, it's just it's it's there's a lot of places out there no. to sell stuff, and you just never know. So that's great. And now you are a graduate of Princeton, and after Princeton, you started your career at Dick Clark Productions and Corporate Communications. It was there that you managed to cobble together enough money to write an ultra-low-budget indie feature entitled Cashing In. Very interesting indie feature name to start your career yeah, with. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> not the right business to cash in necessarily, but um, but yeah, no, it was, uh, I mean, we'll talk about that, about getting in. It, it, it I had no idea what I was doing and the thing, and it's not very good, but that doesn't matter. You just got to get out there and do stuff. Yeah. And, uh, and it, it led to, you know... Actually, specifically, a, a good review in the Hollywood Reporter. Wow! Um, and, and this was your very first. Project. It was at a Palm Springs Film Festival. I think the guy missed like the first ten minutes of the movie and <laughs> decided to review it anyway. And uh, you are so humble. Paul. And uh, but it, it and then it led to an agent and all sorts of other things. So you right? know, you just got to get out there and do stuff. And it, how long from the time that you graduated college to that moment? Well. Uh, let's see. I guess it was four years. I uh, I'm, are we starting at the beginning? Yes. Um, okay. Well, uh, we'll jump all over. We'll jump all <laughs> over. Um, yeah, I, you know, writing was something that at most was a pipe dream. You know, it was something I always had liked. Uh, I'd never known anyone who had ever made a living at it. Uh, I grew up in a family where no one did anything like it. Um, but I was the youngest of three boys and. My mother would say after a glass of wine, the daughter she never had. So maybe I, you know, <laughs> the sensitivity gene kicked in, or and certainly the uh, kind of the um, uh, the observer gene. I think is the youngest. Um, so as it turned out, it was always sort of the way my mind worked. I was editor of my high school newspaper. I was involved in the radio station in college and uh, an act, act a little bit of acting and some creative writing. But it was not again. I never thought of it as being a possible career goal. Um, but uh, when I got out of college, I did think, well, maybe entertainment. Again, the whole idea was sort of live an examined and sort of interesting version of life. So, um, so uh, entertainment was something that I actually had an interview. I don't want to get too far, but I had, at ESPN when I was in college because right. I was a big sports fan too. And and the guy asked me. He said, uh, "What's the first section of the paper you open in the morning?" And I said, "And I said the arts and leisure section in the New York Times." He said, "Well, maybe you should go into into entertainment." And I said, "Well, that's a good idea. I'm doing some things around that." So the only person that would hire me was was Dick Clark um, as a PA. That's not a bad person. Well, to hire you uh, yeah. for your first job as a PA in Princeton. Actually, he had a corporate production office. Right. Um, and. Uh, I, and it led to getting, you know, to moving out here about six months later. Um, the guy that I worked for at the time uh, said, if you can get a job in L.A., any job, and you want to do this, you should get out there. So I went, and uh, I never made more than $26,000 a year working for Dick Clark, but 
Um, but I, I met a lot of people. I worked hard. Makes I, you hungry. Makes That's you hungry. Uh, I met a lot of post houses and other things that yeah. when I finally went out to do cashing in, I was able to, to cash in on those favors. Um, How much was the budget on cash? $25,000. Wow. Yeah. I mean, this is, you know, it's, uh, I won't age myself, but this is pre, you know, everybody having a flip camera and things like that. And, uh, and we shot on 16 millimeter and, uh, and, you know, I mean, like I said, the barriers to entry now are, are, are less, but right. people should be doing some version of, you know, getting their cameras out and putting stuff on YouTube now, I think, too, to get in. But um, anyway, so, yeah, so it was 25 grand and with a couple guys that I'd gone to acting school with and was in a theater company. And I was writing plays for the theater company and and nobody was coming. And, uh, <laughs> and we realized that L.A. is not a theater town. Um, so we were each responsible for raising five grand to go shoot this thing. And, uh, and again, it's very handy to not know what you don't know. And uh, we actually went and shot it and, like I said, got in some f- film festivals with it and uh, met, met some interesting people. And, you know, I'm not sure the rest is history exactly because then uh, it certainly didn't lead to a job exactly. Right. It led to – it opened some doors that uh, led to me starting to write TV. Um and, and what triggered that? What what triggered it? Uh, there uh, two things. One, again, a guy who knew nothing about the business. Um, all I ever had heard is that uh, the writers never on the set, and that Hollywood, you know, it's not a writer's medium, and all this stuff. It, what I heard in TV is that it was that it's more so than features. And as a guy who spent you know like two years in this indie film world, that appealed to me. The idea that the writer could be exec producer. Um, and as a guy who perhaps, you know, grew up being both left brain and right brain to try to deal with my, you know, my family and go through Princeton and things like that, it always appealed to me too, the idea that you maybe do both sides of it. And I need to have a, I had a production background from Dick Clark and, and things. And to be in control. I mean, maybe I'm a little, yeah, there's that. A little, a little bit, bit of, of that. A little bit of a control, <laughs> control freak perhaps. Um, and, uh, and so there was that and that was interesting. And then. Uh, the what one, was your first TV script? Well, the one person, and then the other things, one right. person I knew in, in, in Hollywood who was a working writer was writing at the time on Spin City. Ah. He was a friend of mine, and, and he had seen some of the stuff I'd worked on and thought TV might be, you know, something that I'd be good at. So, um, and uh, and I still can't say the rest is history, but that was the next step. And um, the first TV script, that was, you know, it was... And you know, I've been doing this for for ten years, and and uh, feel very fortunate to be, you know, to made a living all that time. And uh, and and, uh, but but at the time things were different. We were writing specs for existing shows, and uh, and I wrote a Spin City spec and a Drew Carey spec. Right. And Alan Ball hired me off a Drew Carey spec, believe it or not. And um, and uh, you know, and then over time, based on how the shows did or did not do. Uh, well, um, the uh, I, I I got back in writing original material again, which right. led to the pilots. So, anyway, in your portfolio now, I mean, this brings up an interesting topic. Original material is very sought after right now. So, as a writer who has consistently worked for ten years, do you still write specs, or do you only write original? I, I don't. I don't still write specs. Right. Um. Uh, last one I wrote was a two and a half men spec like five years ago, and I wrote an entourage spec maybe around the same time four years ago. Uh, I haven't, and I, I don't see a time when I would do it again. Um, That's a good point to get. 
too as a writer. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how much you'd have to ask the agents and stuff. I don't know how much they use it, uh, how much they use specs. I mean, having you know developed myself and you know friends of mine who are now getting into showrunner capacities. I mean, almost invariably they say that they prefer original material. So yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I can say as a current program executive. I, former current program executive, I can say that um, I definitely staff shows where the showrunners would not read original material, would only read specs. Hmm. Now, I definitely think things are taking a shift. Newer writers, I would always recommend they have a, a current spec script within their portfolio. I mean, I heard, you you know. Know. yeah, I mean, I heard a story recently of a, of somebody reading an ALF spec, you right. know, but it was like ALF, like has AIDS or something, and it was, uh, and 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 they read it because it was crazy enough yeah. and interesting enough, and and whoever read, I don't want to say anything beyond that because somebody be listening who wrote it, but right. but I think there are ways to uh, get attention to get attention through, through a spec, yeah. But I think writing a Big Bang Theory, you know, unless I mean, again, maybe you're, I think if you're st- really just starting out again, I'm probably not the, the right guy to ask but I, I gotta believe that I mean your job on a on a staff is is as on some level is you're a mimic right? right and you have to be able to kind of you know learn the voice of the show and 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 write in somebody else's voice so to show somebody as a sort of a secondary piece of material whether it's an agent or a showrunner that you can write a good spec it's probably still useful but yes. again I, I don't maybe I've been on enough shows that they don't ask that at this point. Well, I think that's definitely a huge part of it. It's interesting. I did. I moderated a panel at PitchFest recently, and it was fascinating to me. Um, out of the four writers I had there, I had Janet Tamaro, Tracy McMillan, Michael Narducci, and Moira Kurland. Cool. And it was fascinating to me that two of the four had never written a spec script. Hmm. Had gotten all of the. I'm learning things here, Jen. That's good. Yeah, original yeah. material, and okay. that was fascinating to me. Yeah, and I thought it was good for people to know. I definitely, I agree that I think it it is important for people. And then there are those who think baby level writers should not be writing pilots because they are very difficult to write. Yeah. So it is. I am of the mindset that I want people to learn to write pilots as early in their career as possible. However, I definitely think for brand new writers, showing that they can mimic a show is still an important thing to have in your portfolio. But again, can it be done on original voice alone? It can be. Like, well, I, you know, I mean, I, I, I'll tell people that I mean, the one thing about writing a spec that was very useful is it's sort of like writing with training wheels. It's right. like you know, the world has been created, the characters, so you can focus on structure, you can focus on, you know, s- certain things, and then you can kind of expand, you know, your palette to paint with other colors. But it's th- that part, even just from an exercise to become a better writer, I think it was very useful. Right. And then you, I think, and then you do have it in your arsenal if you, if you can actually write one that's pretty good. I, in general, at least when I was, when, when I wrote my specs, the, the idea behind it, and you probably tell your, your clients this, that is to just try, try to write something that is beyond what you would see on the show every week. If you right. just write a version of that, that's not enough. It has to really stand out. Yes, it has to be a very creative version of 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 what what you know of what, what already, the show what already is, exists. But to still feel like a produced episode. Yeah, like it is. 
you know, what they, what I do tell my clients is don't write what you think the show should be. Write the best produced episodes you imagine for the show, staying within what the show is. Yeah, I mean, again, it, it may not be relevant to the, today's current market, but for example, that Drew Carey spec I wrote, a lot of people wouldn't read it because they didn't really like the show very much. Right. But the ones that did were like, I don't even like the show, but I loved your script. Yeah. So it was like it kind of, you know, never never hurts to lower expectations as well. I agree. And I I mean, Paul, you're a great writer. I've read oh, several of you, your John. scripts. I, I forgot that. to say that at the top. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a very big fan of your work. That's so nice of you to say. Definitely. On to pilots. Because you have sold, how many pilots have you sold? Seven. Wow. Okay, that is pretty amazing. Tell me, tell me about that. Like your very first pilot, like you know, it's fascinating when I think about Malcolm Gladwell's Ten Thousand Hours in the Pursuit of Excellence. It's almost like it's very you, funny when I was looking through, you know, my questions leading into this. Uh, well, we can talk about that in a minute. I, I just read that book finally, and there's something to it. There's so. something to it because I think as soon as you move past the fear and you do something and you see that you can do it. Then it's like putting the time and energy in again and again and again. And the fact that you've been in the business for a little over 10 years and the fact that you've sold seven pilots, that's great. That's amazing. Well, and the 10,000 hours is, 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 a, uh, is a good segue into it, too, because th they weren't all – they weren't all great, you know. Right. I mean, uh, I, I would actually argue that, that I probably started developing a little too early in my career – um, oh, that's good. Talk about that. Okay. Well, I got into the half-hour world when it was starting to really go away. Um, I got in. I was very fortunate, but I got in kind of as the doors were closing. Um, you know, if you remember, there was this big, you know, Friends and Seinfeld and all this stuff, but those all started going away, and, and around 2000, 2001, um, there were just fewer jobs, and it was about a five-year sort of ice age around this stuff. And, um, and... I continued staffing, but I also was kind of looking ahead to how am I going to survive if I don't get on a hit show, which is very much out of your own, out of your control. You know the fates, and you didn't create it. And and uh, and I and I wrote a spec pilot as a piece of material when actually when I was on the O'Keeffe's when that show was looking like it was going south, um, and I you know kind of against the advice of people I talked to said it's too early you know you're not you're not on a hit show you're not a producer level and I, I said well you know I I didn't get into this to to be on a bunch of failed shows you know and, and not even that like I love the shows I worked on creatively like I, every show I've ever been hired on I've been it, it was weird it was the show I wanted to get on it fit creatively kind of my point of view and I really cared about them but you know, it was get, hard when they didn't work. Yeah, it was yeah. hard. When, and and also, again, if you know, I I I, I you wanted to have control. I because, well, I yeah. wa I wanted <laughs> I I wanted to I wanted to say something. I guess you know, yeah. I got into this. If yeah. I just wanted a job to go to every day, I would have, you know, gone and you know been a lawyer or whatever else my parents thought they wanted me to be. And and uh, and so you know, it, was, it, it just seemed like a good time to take a chance and also sort of remind myself why I got into it. And because it was a time when there were a lot of specs and not a lot of original material, at least in the comedy world, it was. A, I figured at worst it'd be a good piece. Right. So I wrote a spec pilot, autobiographical. Um, Tell me the concept line. It was funny. There, there were two other shows that ended up on the air afterwards that were very similar to it. It was called A Year in the Life, and it was, uh, 
and it was sort of, I think it was right kind of the year 24 came out, first year, and, and it, this was an idea of sort of a real-time romantic comedy, a couple that gets engaged in the pilot, and you follow them over the course of the year, and they may or may not get married in the last episode of the season. They did a day in the life or something like that, and some right. other things that were similar to it. Um, anyway, but it was uh, it was based on a on my failed, failed engagement, and yes. uh, and the characters were from my life, and uh, and 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 so I wrote a piece that people responded to because it had an original voice and. It came from a very real place. I sent it to San Francisco, where I'm from. I literally put my parents in it. I put, you know, and uh, and and so that it surprisingly what it did actually is it led to a pilot deal, and uh, and and that why that I didn't expect. And uh, I thought maybe somebody would actually like buy this and put that on the air. Like, why not just do that? Because it was actually they liked it. But what it did is, it, like I said, led to a pilot deal for another idea that I didn't have. Um, and then I pitched and I sold an idea that I quite frankly didn't know how to write. Um, and that's why I said, I, I started developing a little early is, uh, right. I kind of backed into an idea thinking it was a play, it was an idea I could sell right. as opposed to, is it an idea I could write? Right. Um, that's a good lesson. And there's a big difference, yeah. quite frankly. I mean, you got to know the world, you got to know where it goes. You got to, you know, and engine for story, what yes. is show number 100. Yeah. And, um, and so that was my first development experience, but it was a good one. You know, again, we learned what they said. We learned more from failure. Um, you know what? I want to ask before we move on. I want to. It's my book storyline has to do with adding fiction to your truth. So because you wrote from your truth, I want to talk about the idea of did you add fiction to it, or did you truly come from an autobiographical place, or? Did you just come from the authentic place as far as the emotions, but really fictionalized what was going on in the circumstance? I mean, it's, it's a great question. I, I don't think anyone's life is interesting enough to to to, totally to, to, to write it uh, as is. Uh, and I can tell you, mine mine's not <laughs> my my internal life. What's going on in my head maybe right. is, um, right. but but not actually. How, I love that. That's so true. How I act in the world and. Um, you know, I think it's one reason I'm a writer, too, because it allows you, I mean, the imagination allows you to kind of go places and do things you wouldn't otherwise do. But but it, it, it the characters, like I said, the world, you know, I, I literally said it like, you know, it was a, the first thing was a multi-camera sitcom. I said it in a restaurant that I used to go to with my parents, you know, in, in San Francisco. And and my dad was a very unique, very funny guy uh, and, uh, and, and irascible and horrible curmudgeon and other things and so he's just a just I mean, he's a, just a great character for tv so his voice really basically was him right um but then the other characters like the, the you know fiance and it was not based on my fiance right you know the mother in it kind of the brother kind of you know and right. you know i just, I just think i, I don't what know about your character well, you know, it's funny because my character is often uh, some version of me is often the lead in these yeah. pilots. I write, and uh, again, I, uh, it makes me sound like I think I'm more interesting than I really am. But uh, or maybe in I'm your imagination, more self you are. more self involved. Uh, but the uh, um, the I, I very often what happens. This has happened a couple times with me. Is you'll get a note that the character that feels the least lived in is is the lead. Because you don't have you, That's you, interesting. you don't have perspective on yourself. You right. know, you're not outside of yourself you can't enough. Detach um, enough. Yeah. As time has gone on, both as I've, you know, probably become more comfortable with myself, as I as my writing's gotten better, 
that has become less of a problem. Good. I, I just, you know, you stop navel gazing so much or thinking that it's some version of therapy. You know, right. you're actually telling a story, yeah. you know, and, and you want it to but resonate with other people. It's a great source of therapy. It has been. <laughs> um, it really is. Now, I, and because you've sold seven pilots, if you were to think back to your pitch for your very first pilot versus how you pitch now, what did you learn along the way about pitching? Well, at, at, uh, you know, it's, it's a good question. Like I said, I really backed into an idea that, that the first time, and uh, I was in a meeting where they said, we're looking for this. And I'm like, I have something like that. So it wasn't even a pitch. It was like, what ideas do you have? And let's try to find something together. Um, you know, I, I, I will say that first experience, um, I, uh, I learned sort of a template for pitching um, from, uh, it's going to be Acme. They're, they're very good, smart people, and they um, – uh, and they helped me kind of come up with this template that I used. But every time I went out with a different producer, what is the it, it changed slightly. Well, it may be different for everybody. I talked right. to friends of mine who who literally go in and pitch the whole pilot, which I never do. Um, I, I you start out with some version. I'm giving away my trade secrets, Jen. Some 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 version <laughs> do. of uh, of here's the idea why. It's personal or interesting to me. Basically, why I'm the you know sort of the only person that has this idea and can sell this to you, um, and why I'm passionate about it. And and then you start building you know some elements of of the show without getting into too many details. And then you go into characters. Like it's from a what I was told at least, and it seems to work is that it, uh, for comedy specifically, it's really about character. You right. know, they're not procedurals. They're they're not that plot driven. Um, you have to want to hang out with these people every week. Um, and if you think about it, people who are funny all the time it can be really annoying too. So like, what is it that makes them human? Why are you going to want it? And so it, a lot of it was spent on these are the five or six characters, how they interact, literally lines of dialogue, what makes them funny. I like um, that. And and I majority of the pitch is that. Okay. And uh, and then you get into. The pilot, but like a paragraph what the pilot's about, and then future episodes, so they know it's got legs, and 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 maybe where you think the whole first season is going to go. I mean, but not like in a lot of details. Just say this is where it starts and this is where it ends, right? And here are a few things in between. I like that. I think that's great. Or do you get nervous now on pitches, or do you no. feel like that's good? I mean, I, first of all, I, I actually I don't know. Like, I for. As a writer, you spend so much time by yourself, even when you're on staff, that I, I used to look forward to uh, to being in a room. I, I'd say I'd, I'd, I'd probably put myself in sort of the spectrum of a, of a social writer, um, and which not all writers are, and uh, makes it a little hard to sit down at my computer sometimes, but, but it is very handy for pitches. Um, but you also mentioned that you're the observer, so that's interesting. Well, yeah. But I, that's true. But uh, I don't know how to answer that. You participate I'm as a, well. <laughs> I'm a little bit of both, Jen. Yeah, where none of us I is none of us none of us is just one thing. So you know, I it's interesting for me because in writing in writing my first book, it was such a interesting journey of recognizing how how attached I became to my solitude in the process of the journey and how much the participant in me started to enjoy being the observer that's interesting you know yeah no i know i know what you mean for yeah. sure and yeah. it uh you know it's, it's one reason why I often all you know people talk about leaving la to write um 
and often if I'm on script on a show or I'm running a pilot, I'll 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 get out, I'll get out of town. I'll, often I'll go up to San Francisco. Oh, that's um, interesting to write your scripts and y- then come back. Yeah, just because okay. I mean you're you're so focused on the business of life and right. the business of the business here, mm-hmm. um, and to go to a place where, like you said, you again feel a little bit more like an observer again. Right. You know, in a world where I don't know as many people, where um, I'm not interacting in the same way I do every day. I think it, it, it can kind of cause you to you know maybe dig a little deeper or 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 feel a little more like you know the best way to communicate is through the script not through picking up the phone or yeah meeting a friend for lunch or something i like that i think that's great that's great process now okay so out of all the pilots you've written what is your favorite and why well i mean I, i think there's a lot of, I mean, several of them I, I was very happy with. Um, they started to get better, you know, the 10,000 hours. They started to get better as I did more of them. Um, uh, again, sometimes you'll sell an idea that you realize maybe you kind of, you don't know how to write it. I stopped doing that once I started to know the pitfalls of of, uh, of, hitting of, what, the wall. of what that looks like. <laughs> it, you, you really, I tell you, the pitch process and the developing of an idea process is really important because... If you can, re- if you can do a full pitch, if you can do one of these four page or whatever these four or five page pitches, the chances are you'll know by the end of that. If you really dug deep, you'll know if there's a show there. Anyway, to answer your question, the uh, the, the pilot that I that I was I guess happiest with, and 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 the one that that has led to, for example, the two staff jobs I have right now is is uh, is a pilot called the Viper that I did for um, for the CW. It was the last year they were doing half hours and. Uh, um, it was very personal. Um, I, I would say that as, as a writer, I, I always wanted to be John Hughes, you know, and probably one of like a billion writers in L.A. who says the same thing, certainly of my generation, too. And, and it was a high school thing, and it was based on my family and my upbringing with my brothers and sort of, you know, how in some ways how I ended up as the, the one who, you know, ended up living kind of a different life. But, of course, this was about other things, too, about becoming a man and you know, having sex for the first time and other things like that. And, oh, uh, and, um, and it was, uh, coming it, of age. Type it was a coming stuff. of age yeah. thing. And, uh, and, and, and it was very personal, but it still, I think, re- you know, like I said, I felt like it resonated the best of all of them. And, um, and it, I, maybe it's uh, my favorite cause it's led to a lot of work, which is always nice. But um, it sounds like everything that's leading to work for you is coming from your truth. Yeah, and and I tell you, and 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 again, I've worked with a lot of very good people. Um, but for a writer, I mean, it, look, it's this stuff's very collaborative, and and it's when it, when it works well, um, it's it's good collaboration. When it works badly, it's it, it there's a disconnect. And uh, and on the Viper specifically, I worked with uh, David Janelari, who oh, who was the yeah. producer on Oh Grow Up, so he gave me my first job, and. You know, and and was on Six Feet Under with Alan, and then also you know was Warner Brothers when they created. I mean, really, he was the you know kind of the engine behind getting Friends on the air. And and David's a really smart guy, and right. we had a good shorthand. And he's now had a scripted at MTV, and yeah, and and we just worked really well together. And right. he and he knew me well enough, right, to know kind of what buttons to push to right. get me to get to the truth right you know and uh, and there was a comfort level with him too so you know again it every experience has been interesting I met a ton of good people but but that in some ways just felt a little bit like the culmination and and quite frankly for there was a stretch where I was writing a lot of pilots and and hadn't been as interested in staffing 
Um, and uh, the lifestyle is pretty good. I really wanted to get one on the air. Um, I had a few, you know, unlucky breaks and some other things and, and some things, like I said, that I probably could have done better too. And, um, and when I wrote that and it didn't end up on the air because the CW got rid of their comedy department, it did feel a little bit like, okay, maybe it's time to go back out in the staffing world again. And things were starting to change, and I had done something new that put me in a new right in, in, in a new genre, yeah. which was this, this teen stuff. Right. Um, and, uh, and, and so that was, that was cool, too. So, it, it, you know, I, like I said, I've, the MTV pilot's the first pilot I've sold in, I guess, two. Well, I did the Comedy Central one, too. What am I talking about? Well, <laughs> I did, and I did that. But, but, but the Comedy Central one was a, co- was a collaboration with another writer. Right. Um, this Lionsgate project is not, it's, it's based on a movie. Right. Uh, it's an adaptation of a movie. Okay. So, you know, I'm delving a little bit less into, into my personal files. Right. Um, okay. Now. Well, that is great. I love. We covered the whole pilot area and the voice area. I think that's great. And next, we will dive into your experience with staffing and what it is to be staffed on a show. You certainly have a lot to draw from in that arena. This is Jen Grisanti. I am here with Paul Rule, a writer on The Hard Times of R.J. Berger and Jonas. You're listening to StoryWise with entertainment consultant Jen Grisanti. StoryWise is a podcast designed to give you the story behind the people who tell stories, offering you insight on what it takes to work as a writer in television and film. Hear this and other podcasts on www.jencrisanticonsultancy.com, a full-service writer consultancy committed to guiding your vision. Next, we are going to jump into your staffing experience. So why don't we start with the most recent shows? Um, tell me about, I would, I would love for you to tell everyone about The Hard Times of R.J. Berger because I think it's so original and so different than anything on TV right now. So it is good for people to be aware of it. Yeah, I, f- I feel like I'm, you know, this in our own small uh, MTV way. It's like I'm on Letterman's couch or something, yes. like giving a promotional pitch for <laughs> R.J. Berger. Um, <laughs> Go. Every, 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 you know, every, everything I can do to, to try to get the, the, the word out there. Um, it's, uh, you know, it's it's been a just and it's been a incredible incredibly fun and and rewarding experience uh uh it's what do i say about it i mean if you haven't seen it it's on mtv at 10 o'clock on monday night we have one more episode next week Um, last night my episode aired our second episode which was the uh, part one of uh two-part season finale and uh our numbers are growing every week they were very good last night so we were happy about that we just got picked up for a second season um, Congrats! Thank you, and uh, and it's just I love the people I work for. It's uh, created by Seth Graham Smith and David Katzenberg, who uh, both have had you know success in their own right, and they're writer, producer, you know, director team, and um, and it, you know the Viper, which I was talking about before, is about a, a kid on his 16th birthday um, who gets given this you know nickname that he's trying to figure out a way to live down. And then this show is about a 15-year-old kid who the first day of school, or not first day of school, but the first day the, on, our, on the pilot through a mishap at school. It turns out that he's this dorky kid who also happens to have the biggest, um, you know, what do you call it? Jan, what's the word for it? <laughs> hoo-hoo. Uh, hoo-hoo on, on, on campus. And, wow. Uh, and so it, kind of know, like hung, yeah, kind of like the kid version of we hung. Got, we got a lot of hung for the young yeah. and things like that. And, <laughs> that um great. 
And and I'm not and, and you know it, it uh, these guys Seth and Dave will tell you that it was developed before Hung and it was this was this, it was based on a short film of theirs that they that they did several years ago and um and uh, look we're not the first I mean you know uh, Boogie Nights and you know other things so but but really what it is is it's a you know I actually apparently said this on my staffing meeting is that. You know, it's it's a metaphor for growing into yourself and right. for feeling like a freak and right. and that everybody sort of has something about themselves and not understanding like kind of that things in life we often are a cur- you know a curse or actually a blessing and maybe vice versa too and um, so it's not the big dick show um, right. it, exactly and and it's, and it's humanizing yeah. the idea of what isolates us yeah what, how it, we grow into as you say comfort with our own it's, skin it's a coming of age yeah. show with, with, with what was a kind of a loud hook Right. Um, MTV is their, you know, first scripted show uh, certainly in a long time. And they're and giving there... you guys a lot of liberty. Yeah, <laughs> you've seen it. We get away with a lot of stuff. I get, I get calls from friends of mine who, uh, yeah, who mistakenly watched it with, like, their three-year-old, you know. And um, But uh, wow. we get away with a lot of stuff, which is fun. I mean, that's, I tell you, one of the advantages of cable is, is you can. And MTV, you know, at the end of the day, even though they're doing scripted, uh, now and they don't do a lot of music videos. I think they sort of still see themselves as kind of the rock and roll network. So it has to have a bit of a of a rock and an roll edge. attitude. And it does have an edge. It has a major edge. I mean, when I first saw the pilot, it reminded me of American Pie. And yeah. That, when that first came out, you know. Yeah, exactly. I mean, American Pie is a perfect, you know, uh, example of of kind of you know something that inspired the show and the audience for it. You know, are kids that watch that on a loop. You know, right. and. Uh, and, and again, you know, the John Hughes movies, it's a little racier, and American Pie is, but, right. um, I mean, weirdly, I, I don't know why I bring it, but I, the day I got the job, uh, I was in New York City, and I got the phone call from my agent, and it turned out that John, John I don't mean to laugh, but John Hughes uh, had died that day from a heart attack, like three blocks from where I was having coffee on the Upper East Side of New oh York. Oh my God, that's uh, wild. I was like, crazy. So, you know, not that our, sh- you know, our show is not exactly that, but certainly very much inspired by, by that world. Wow. And so that was pretty, you know, kind of, I wish he were still around, but it was kind of a weird symbolic something, uh, you know, so. That is interesting. The writer in Ready me. Ready for a new voice. The writer in me was, was yeah. certainly, uh, you the know, intrigued by the coincidence. Um, yeah. Anyway, but but yeah, so it's it's a it's a great gig, really fun creatively. Um, we're getting and a lot. Where, of, when is it on? It's on MTV on what night? Monday night at at, at ten o'clock. Is it? We've got one right. more. We got one more, which is next week, and then right. and then uh, we go back into production on the on the tenth of uh, or the eleventh of October. And I would imagine they'll play reruns during the summer. They do. Yeah, I mean, I think it's the kind of show it. it, it it's been building over the course of the season, and um, and there's big Twitter and other stuff following. And I think it's right. kind of show that like people will talk about it, discover it, um, and with you know DVDs and right. iTunes and MTV.com yeah. that you hope that it's it'll a whole new world market. It'll line. yeah, it'll build a, a bit of a groundswell. But um, but yeah, no, it's it it it's a great creative experience. I mean, just talk about it from the standpoint of, of your listeners, it's. Uh, you're doing two shows. I want to go into that. Well, I'll go into that. Yeah, you're on staff of two shows at one time. Yeah, well, I can explain that too. I mean, it, it, the MTV we work 12 weeks. We do 12 episodes in 12 weeks. It's right. sort of this Herculean thing that they've set up for us. And uh, um, and then David and Seth shepherd the episodes through production. Um, so it uh, it allows it to be done on a budget. Um, and and we move fast. 
Uh, and in some ways, it's great because what it does is it doesn't give – there's not a lot of time to overthink stuff or um, – and, and I think the show kind of has an energy uh, in, in part because it's done with energy, you know, right. you know if that makes sense, you know. Yeah. Um, and because of the fact that it's three months of work, um, I – after season one, I – uh, I was able to take another staff job while I waited to find out what was going on with Hard Times. So that's how I ended up on uh, Jonas. It's actually Jonas LA, technically. Okay. Um, and, right. uh, and where can people find that? It's on the Disney Channel, 9 o'clock on Sunday nights. And right. we're also, it's airing right now. It's been fun to have two shows airing at the same time. Right. Sunday and Monday nights, back to back. And and uh, it's a kind of a, a, a reboot of the Jonas Brothers show from season one, and uh, it was pitched to me as Entourage for Disney. And, I like it. And it's all on location. It's a slightly older version of what Disney does because they're older, and their demo for the for the Jonas Brothers is older. And um, and it's been it's been it was really a very interesting experience. I mean, to be with like these huge rock stars and the, sort of the crazy world around that, and. Um, and where we can get away with anything on hard times, there's you can't get away with a lot of anything on Disney. So to go back to back in these two shows, talk about you know sort of sort of being a schizophrenic writer, but I tell you, it, it's it's a great skill, and I you know or great it is it, it has been a great learning experience for me to understand that that you you know again you talk about the the sort of array of things I've done, you know I I. In some way, first of all, the same piece of material got me both jobs. Yeah. So one's a racy show about a kid with a big dick, and one is about you know his brother, sort of Christian rock band for the Disney say, set. I was going to say, don't they have the message of no premarital sex? We got something? one kiss for the yeah. entire season. Yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah, yeah. and uh, so, uh, but there are other muscles you exercise in trying to, they're to both write. Great. They're both fun messages because, bottom line, there are people that are going to identify with both groups. And so, and like I said, the same piece yeah. of material led to it. Um, and and you know, I certainly can relate to RJ and sort of the fifteen-year-old outcast. But I also, in their, you know, at the end of the day, the Jones brothers, yeah, they're a rock band, but they're three brothers trying to get along, trying to you know diff- get away from their parents for the first time, which is sort of the idea behind this show is they're living right. on their own for the first time. And you know, I grew up in a household with with three brothers, you yeah. know, and, so you and identify. yeah, so there yeah. was stuff I could bring to it, you know. You know, it's interesting, my, I, I saw coverage of when the Jonas Brothers were at the Grove, and okay. it was yeah. insane. Yeah. Oh my God, I was like, that is absolute, it reminded me of like the Monkees or the Beatles, like it just like seeing the crowd react, seeing the girls go insane. I was like, oh, my God, that's got to be a head trip. Well, yeah, I mean, one of the reasons to take the job, other than I, I really like the people I worked with on it, and, and, and it's always good to make money, um, was well, I figured it'd be a unique experience, yeah. right? It's something, Definitely. I mean, you know, as a writer, I think it's important to get out in the world and, and do new things, yeah. uh, and you never know where it's going to lead in terms of, you know, creatively, I had a, had a whole new experience over five months that I never would have had otherwise. No, I think that's fantastic. Good for you. And now, out of Oh Grow Up, Madigan Men in the O'Keefe's, what was 
What was one of your favorites and why? And what out of those three were there any more challenging shows and why were they? Yeah, I was actually on another show that never aired, by the way, a show called The Misadventures of Fiona Plum. Oh, uh, that was now that well, that was a pilot that you wrote. Or no, that was, that was, was uh, uh, it was a sh- you know, got, got hired as, as a, you know on staff for right. It, it was a WB. Po- but it didn't uh, go. Never aired. We wrote oh, okay. it. We wrote all the episodes. And, you did. And, and oh, that had to been a while. They never experience. shot any. Um, yeah, I was How on many a, episodes did you guys I think write? we wrote eight. Oh, my gosh. And, wow. we never, and, uh, and were, then it never aired. They were supposed to reshoot the pilot, and it never happened. And uh, it was, yeah, look, I've been on, every one of them has its own life, its yes. own, uh, you know, Drama. ups and downs, good <laughs> good and bad. And you learn a lot about people when you're, again, you're in the midst of failure, too, because it brings out interesting things in people. I, look, I had, they were all very good experience. I'm not just saying that because someone might be listening. Um they, uh, My feeling is you can fail your way to the top. Well, Why not? Yeah. I, you know, I, I'm not sure how true they say that. I think that used to be more true than it is now. You have to get on a successful show at some point. I have talked to showrunners who have been fired from every single job they've had and they're executive producers. So it is a fascinating phenomenon. All right. Well, I, I think I. So think you're saying I should get fired? Is what you're saying? <laughs> I think it's a good message. All right. Because you keep touching on failure and failure, looking at failure in a positive light. That when you fail, you learn what didn't work. Well, by the way, so, wh- when wh- and also what is failure? I mean, I, yeah. I don't, you know, getting on a show that didn't make it is that, or selling a pilot that doesn't get on the air. I mean. They all have their own rewards. Yes. You meet new people. Because you're building you sold a resume. A show and that's a huge thing in and of itself. Yeah, yeah. So, and there are a lot of things. I mean, not yeah. to get all zen here, but there are a lot of things that we can't control, right? right. So, the things you can, you, you need to try to. And you're writing, you can control. Yeah, you can, you're writing, you can control. And there are a yeah. lot of things in this business that we can't. But if you, you know, you have fun, you enjoy the ride, you work hard, and we'll get into this. It sounds like in our next section, yes. but, um, you know. Uh, and but in terms of those sh- shows specifically, um, you know the, the the first you know you never forget your first time as they say. Uh, I mean, <laughs> I mean, Ogre Up. Everyone I worked with on that show was like, "This better stick around. You're never gonna have a better experience than this." It was just a it was a great gig. I learned a ton, and you know, Alan's an amazing writer, and was, and and I was the only staff writer, so like I was. One thing that's funny, you know, kind of funky about all these shows is that, you know, writers are. I think inherently competitive with each other. I mean, right. I, 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 I don't agree. know many writer friends of mine, quite for example, who've had real mentors. Right. Because I think that there were somehow, on some level, you don't want somebody to take your job, you know, and uh, and and certainly a younger writer in a town where they think that that age and somehow it can be a detriment. Um, so uh, that, that uh, can I? I don't mean to interrupt. No. but I was going to say that's a good thing to touch on because. I, I look at the the idea of how difficult it is for writers because it's rare that writers complement one another for that exact reason that you say because you fear who's coming up behind you, which is why I say to writers it's so important that you have such a strong foundation around you at home with your friends and your family because the writing world is very competitive and very like it's, it's rare, and mentor-wise, I've asked that question to so many people on this podcast, who are your mentors? And I can't tell you how many people have, who have said, I wish I had some. 
Yeah, you well, know. you know, uh, we come into this world alone and we go out alone, perhaps. So, uh, but it's nice if you can if you can find one, and certainly you learn from everybody. I you mean, do. And I mean, mentor is a word that is more intimate. That you're going on a journey with somebody for a while. I think you learn from every talented person that come crosses your path. Yeah, you w- without question. And and I was fortunate in that every one who hired me every show I've, ever, I've worked for I really were writers right. um, first and foremost and uh, and I think sometimes showrunners can be you know really you know producers on some level or whatever it is or really good with the network and things like that and so I, I did learn on every one of those uh, how to become a writer on the, uh, you know those are good lessons those are good lessons I mean you know look Batagan and Men was in New York which was amazing I got to go and right. and uh, but also, I mean, like that was ATG, which people remember, you know, Mike Obitz's management company in television. Did you work there? No. No, no. Okay. No, no. But uh, uh, they... Um, I do it, remember it, though. It certainly was in my realm of, of you know... Yeah, and yeah. yeah, and it you know, and and they were spending all their own money, and there was this sort of sense of panic about what was going on because they yeah. somehow got three shows on the air their first year developing, and yeah. so you just there, things can be dysfunctional in a lot of different ways that have nothing to do with what's going on in the writers' room. Yes, and then again in the writers' room, it's very competitive where you're competing with everybody else in that room too. Yeah. It's, it's like an eight-hour meeting every day. You know, yeah. it can be uh, it can be and kind it's of like stressful. the family at the dinner table. It's like you're you're trying to outdo your sibling on speaking up, and you have the mom and dad you may or may not ever make happy yeah and particularly in comedy too where yeah. you're trying to be the you know the funniest guy in the room too which is can be difficult stressful. that's yeah. a lot of pressure but it's still the best job anyway right. I think we're going to a break i yeah. love that and what preconceptions did you have going into the writing room writer's room versus being in it and seeing what it is i'm not sure i had a lot of preconceptions i think that um, having not grown up knowing a lot about Hollywood, um, I, I think the first one was I didn't even know that they wrote these things in rooms, you know? Right. Um, and, you know, I always get that question from everybody who's outside of Hollywood. How does this stuff work? Who writes what? Do you write, does one person write one character? Do they... Um, and every show is different, and, yes? And every show is different. I, yeah. the, the way you brainstorm and break stories has basically been the same in every show I've ever been on. Right. How you write the episodes is different. You know, the, the ones that usually are the most fun are where you get to really write a first draft on your own, leave the office, and really write a draft. Um, and 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 I've had I've been lucky enough to have a handful of those. Hard Times is done that way. And, um, you know, I, I think the preconception or misconceptions are, you know, uh, you know, I probably the, the, the big the biggest one I had, like I said, is that is that. And this is not to disparage my fellow writers, but you're all on the same team. I mean, everybody likes the show and wants it to succeed, but they're also, they're, as they should be, they want their own career to succeed. Right. Um, and, and I think that we think going into being a writer is a way to avoid the real world. Um, and, it's, and it's not. I mean, the politics and, and personalities involved in these shows, anything in life, you know, understanding the politics, understanding human nature. It's interesting, writers supposedly write about human nature, yet I don't know if they're very good with other people. Right. And you know, they That's don't play that well with others. Yeah. Um, because you do spend a lot of time on your own in front of your computer. And and I think that I, I wasn't, I think I was a little naive right. a, about that. 
Um, and when a show starts to go down, people kind of abandon ship and start, you know, you know, every every man or woman for themselves. So, yeah. um, so I think but that's I, a valuable lesson. It is a valuable lesson. Yeah. Look, Hollywood's, you know, I'm not first. I mean, Hollywood's a tough town, and yeah. uh, and uh, and again, I I, I mean, it's just a piece of advice. And maybe we, I can yeah. say later, but I'll just die. no, like, no, I'd love to get I, advice. I, th- from I think that that I mean, people ask me um, sort of what I've learned over my career. One of the things I say is that is that it's not writing is not an excuse to not have a career. I think some people think it's an excuse not to have a real That's job. That's a good point. And I would say that it actually, and and the last several years, as things have really improved and my career and God and, you know, and knock on wood, have been, really been, have been going great, working consistently and all this stuff that's been happening, is I realize actually you have to work, if you're an entrepreneur, you have to work harder than everybody right. else. Yeah. You have to write more. You have to get out in the world and do stuff. You have um, to create. You have to create. Your destiny. Yeah, you have to create yeah. your destiny, and it's not just creating material, creating right. your destiny. Right. That's part of it. Right. But to think that you're going to write the magical thing that's going to change your life isn't it either. Right. It's some combination of all these things. Right. Um. So you know, the it's like anything in life, we talk about the Malcolm Gladwell thing. The harder you work, yeah, the more chance you have of being successful at it. Now, as far as if you were to think of like a shining moment that you had in your career. What would it be, and like, what made it what it was? Well, uh, I mean, there, there's certainly been a, you know a, a, a lot. I mean, my first job was it was a miracle, and and uh, uh, I remember going into that room every day, just waiting for somebody to come in and say, "Oh, we're kidding." <laughs> You're not. You, you don't belong yeah, here. You got, you got, you yeah, you got. Everybody has that you got, dream. You got to leave. Um, <laughs> But but there've been you know but there've been certainly been many I mean uh, do you I, feel like you've earned your spot in the writers room Yeah Good. I do I I, I, I do I, um, uh, you know I feel like there's been a lot of hard work um, and and you know like everything in life there are ebbs and flows and I mean you want to talk about my my highlight in in some ways I would say that at least in recent um, in, in in my recent writing history, career history, the the, the low light was um, when I, f- I thought my pilot was getting the, the Viper was going to get shot at the CW, and I got this phone call that they were getting rid of their comedy department. Right. And I finally had this script that was going to get yeah. shot. That was going to. I mean, I've since shot twenty two. We did shoot, and but I really thought that that. And I remember at the time thinking, well, all right, well, now what? Right. But actually, again, perfect example of things we're talking about. It, it. I didn't know where it was going to lead, but it led to all of these other jobs. Right. And I didn't know that at the time. So you know, so the time my biggest dis- the low point. Well, my biggest disappointment yeah. led to led to all these great things. Yeah. Um, That's a good message. For yeah. People. So I know. like that message. Yeah. And on that note, for our last question, I would love if you were to give a piece of advice one piece of advice to a brand new writer what would it be i mean i guess i'll take two things one is not answering your question i I, I think i think one thing i'd say to any writer who's who's out there working and trying to uh and trying to get to the next level or trying to survive um that that you can't do it on your own um and you know you need a team of people i mean i met you and you you know and you introduced me to people and have 
you know, and, and it helped set up a world where I've now got this, I mean, you were part of this kind of overall thing that I've like built finally for myself, which is this great team I have in place. Oh, I love funny. my agents. I'm a CA. I have these great agents. I've got a great management company. Uh, Rain Jeff Ma- Silverman. Yeah, Rain Management. And, 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 and that, all that stuff is an out, and people you know well, and all this stuff is an outgrowth of, you know, realizing that one, you know, we change and evolve as people, but that, yeah, there was no way I was doing this on my own. Right. You know, and that you are kind of a CEO of your, of this little company that you've yeah. built. Um, and again, I guess it goes back to the point about writers, you know, n- not realizing it's a business. Yeah. Um, so being an entrepreneur is a great message. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, building your network and around people that you, you know, like and respect and all that kind of stuff, it's, it's really important because it's just too hard on your own. Right. Um, and then the other thing, I guess, for a brand new writer, what I would say, uh, you know, it's advice I'm sure that has been given on these podcasts before, but I tell you the, the most important thing, and, and I read this article that said that the most important thing is to have an original voice and then Hollywood will spend the rest of your career trying to get rid of it, you know? Um, I like that. But, but it, it is true. It, if you are selling yourself as a writer, you have to figure out how are you unique. We all are as people in some capacity, right? As a writer, you got to find out what that is. You know, were you a lawyer? You know, before, well, that's going to give you an advantage getting on legal shows. For me, for whatever reason, you know, this original comedic voice, very often about relationships, family life, you know, it has been the thing that has differentiated me, helped me survive when half hours are kind of going away, thrive when th- when things are getting better. Um, and and it's something, you know, that, that if you, again, it's I guess it's all down to sales but on some level you have to differentiate yourself and the best way to do that is to kind of embrace find your voice find your voice yeah Yeah. with that I think that is an excellent point to end on um I am thrilled with everything that we covered I think that it's going to be great for the listeners to learn about every part of the process And I want to thank you for joining us today and being so open and sharing so much. And I wish you nothing but the best with your show and your pilot. Thank you for having me. It was really fun. You got it. And we are out with Paul Rule, writer on The Hard Times of R.J. Berger on MTV, and Jonas on the Disney Channel. Thank you so much for joining us. This is Jen Grisanti of Jen Grisanti Consultancy, Inc. You've been listening to StoryWise with Jen Grisanti. If you're looking to get to the next step in your career and need a guide who has been there and knows what it takes, go to www.jengrisanticonsultancy.com. On the website, you can also find the latest on writing programs, feature film festivals, and other writing competitions. StoryWise is produced by Joel Metzger and Hot House Bruiser Productions.